From Colossians 1, uh, 3 verses 1 to 4. So since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Great. Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, a privilege to be here, and I guess this is me going through the security gate, eh? So we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, just a bit about Jolene and I. Uh, as it's been said, we've come from Three Hills this morning, which is about two and a half hours away. Uh, we've been there the past three years, um, and I've been doing my pastoral studies. My wife, Jolene, finished um, a, a diploma in music and worship arts. Um, so, so yeah, we've really enjoyed our time there. Before that, we were in Calgary, where I was working as a, a carpenter, getting my journeyman ticket. Um, and yeah, I'll talk a bit about that journey of going from carpentry to pastoral ministry. Uh, but it's really exciting for me to be uh, sharing with you this morning. I'm just going to start off uh, the message by praying. Father God, we thank you so much God, that we can gather here this morning and worship you. And Lord, I think about the life of this church and the anticipation and the excitement that's stirring here, Lord, um, with, with what's happening over at Southwest. And God, in this community, it is so evident that you are working and you are moving. Lord, what a blessing it is to be a part of it. So God, we, we think of this time now as we look to your word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, Lord, as you speak, God, your word's work in our hearts and change us and make us more into the people that you desire us to be, conforming us more into the image and the likeness of your Son. So God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your voice. God, hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would calm my nerves and, and speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've had the privilege of listening along a bit these last few weeks to the series that you guys have been in about Against All Odds, and I can't help but think of my favorite sports movies with, with Rocky. You know, I love these boxing movies. Uh, Rocky is just, he seems like this pure-hearted, innocent guy who just, he wants, you know, he loves his, he loves Adrian and all these things. Um, and my favorite part in these movies, it doesn't matter which one you grab, is the training scenes where you watch Rocky do all these ridiculous things. He's running upstairs. Uh, I don't remember which video, but when he's in Russia and he's like running up the mountain, he's doing all these things. And, and, and Rocky, in a lot of ways, kind of embodies this guy who's going against all odds, right? You're like, man, look at him go. And you get excited watching him. Um, but, and I think about Rocky, it's like, man, what's motivating this guy? And you watch him do all these things and you're like, I, I think I might be able to one day do that, but probably not. Um, but the thing you see in Rocky is this guy's incredibly focused. He's incredibly focused. And we think about our Edmonton Oilers who um, clinched a playoff spot defeating um, LA Kings. I shouldn't talk about sports because I don't follow that closely, but I'll try to relate to all of you who do. Um, but the Edmonton Oilers clinching this, this playoff spot, and there's something in that where there's focus. They were focused on the win. 
And I think about us in our Christian walks and being people who go up against all odds. You know, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says these amazing words um, talking about the Christian life. He says that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And when I think about our Christian lives and I think about focus, man, that's to achieve this, this abundant life, this full life. I want that. And perhaps many of you in this room, you, you desire that. Maybe some of you are experiencing this, experiencing this, this full life. But I think all too often we find in our Christian lives that we aren't experiencing abundant life. We're struggling with anxiety. Maybe we struggle with depression. Maybe we do all that we have to to pull ourselves out of bed on a Sunday morning just to come to church because our Christian life isn't feeling too full or too great. I want to share a bit of my personal story with you. Um, I, I grew up in Edmonton. Jolene and I both are born and raised Alberta people. Um, and I grew up in a pastor's home. If any of you know of McKernan Baptist Church, that's the church I grew up in. My, my dad, Lyle Byers, has been pastoring there for some 23, 24 years. Um, and so I grew up in a Christian's home. I, I, I came to faith at a young age. Uh, and it was interesting as I would study scriptures and get to know more about this person, Jesus. Um, and as I, as I journeyed in my faith, there were times when I, I experienced this abundant life, and there were times when I was not. You know, I remember getting into high school and starting to, to serve in youth group and lead worship and do all these different things, and, um, but then starting to wrestle with the life that I saw my non-Christian friends having. And it was like, man, they look like they're having lots of fun. And there's this tension that welled up in me, and there was this conflict happening almost here what, what Jesus is doing contrasting these two types of life um, and I was wrestling between those and I got into being a young adult and Jelena I got married actually at the age of 19 believe it or not so we've been married almost almost nine years here uh, which is very exciting but in those seasons of life as a young man um, desiring God's will asking those big life questions what am I supposed to do with my life how am I supposed to, to serve God what does faithfulness look like, all the while wrestling with this, Lord, I don't always feel this full life. I remember working as a carpenter in Calgary, framing houses and just feeling lifeless um, and, and wanting more of God, but not knowing what that looked like or how I would get there. And I was certain that when I went to Bible college that it would just happen. You know, I'm going to figure this out. If I go to Bible college and I'll attend chapel three times a week, I'll, I'll study the Bible for all of my papers, I'll have a vibrant prayer life, I'll be in a good Christian community, surely then I'll realize this full life. But it didn't happen there either. And I remember this, this frustration and reading John 10.10 10 and being like, Jesus, like, I, I want this. I want this full life. But I don't feel like I have it. Paul writes these great words in, in Colossians chapter 3, and he says, If you have been raised with Christ. It's almost a sense in here where he's asking us a question. Are you a Christian? Have you been raised? Just a few verses later, he talks earlier, he talks about having died with Christ. In, in chapter 2, verse 20, If you have died to, 
if, you, if with Christ you have died, now he's saying, if then with Christ have you been raised? Are you a Christian? And there's a part of me, I read those verses and it's like, he's asking, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. And there's this anticipation, okay, Paul, tell me what I need to do so that I can experience this full life. Tell me what I need to focus my life on so that I can know life abundantly and life to the full. Just tell me. Does Paul go on to say, if you've been raised, go to church more? No. If you've been raised, read and study the Bible diligently? No, he doesn't say that either. But he goes on to say, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we see here in this passage that as Christians, our desire, our minds, and our hope need to be fixed on Jesus. Our desire, our mind, and our hope need to be fixed on Jesus. I think what, as I read these verses, the Holy Spirit illuminated for me and showed me that full life, this full life in John 10.10, that it comes, it's found as I focus on Jesus. And when I look at my story kind of leading up to almost this moment of like, wow, God, I, I see in my life this misplaced focus. A desire to have Christ reign in my life, but, but being very content to live in a very distracted way. They get caught up very often in the cares and, and troubles of the world. And to not be someone who's looking to Jesus. So this morning I want us to look at and talk about what it actually means for us to have a desired focus. A des- have, sorry, to have a focused desire, have our minds focused, and to have our hope focused. Have our desire focused, our minds focused, and our hope focused. So we'll start by looking at, we'll look at each of these, and we'll start by looking at what it means to have a focused desire. So Paul tells us that we need to seek the things that are above. We could even change the wording there. Just It'd be appropriate to say that we need to desire the things that are above. And we all understand desire, don't we? We, we have desire all the time. Many of you, as we can smell brunch being cooked, we're desiring brunch. We want those pancakes and whatever else they're going to serve. Um, but we go throughout our day with, with different desires. And every time we have these desires, we, we orient ourselves around that. If we have a desire to be successful at work, our focus and, and everything's going to be set on what we need to do to be successful. Because we desire to be successful. Uh, We think of young kids, you watch them, and often they're just driven by their desires. If a kid wants candy, they're going to go after that candy. I think about when Jolene and I were dating in high school, and I desired to be with Jolene. You know, I was thinking about her all of the time. I was calling her often, you know, these types of things. We can relate to this. And we live in a culture that is just, it's all about desire. And I think the, the biggest case study or something we can look at is this whole reality of the American dream. So many of us, even this morning, we, we desire the American dream. We desire to be successful. We desire to live in a nice home. 
We desire to have all sorts of securities, financial securities. We desire to have the right friends to drive the right vehicles, all these things. And our desires can be oriented around the American dream. And what happens when our desires are oriented around the American dream, we view our resources, so things like our time, around how are we going to attain this American dream? How am I going to spend my time so that I can have this desire? We look at our finances and we say, how do I use and maneuver my finances to the best of my ability so that I can attain this desire? And consequently, our choices, when we're up faced with any type of a decision, the question becomes, how, what choices do I need to make so that I can achieve this desire? But Paul here is instructing us that our desire is to be very different than what the world desires. When our culture is inviting our primary desire to be that of the American dream, a desire that is not inherently bad. The American dream is not necessarily a bad desire. But when our culture is calling that to be our primary focus and our primary desire, we're reading Paul here who's, who's inviting us instead to have a desire on what is above. Paul is telling us that our desire needs to be Christ. That sounds like a Sunday school answer, doesn't it? What should we desire? Jesus. We all desire Jesus. But it's true. We need to desire Jesus. And Paul tells us that we need to set our eyes on the things, set our hearts on the things that are above. And which leads us to ask the question, well, what is above? What is he talking about? And if we go to 1 Peter um, chapter 3, we see, see an answer to that question where Peter's talking about how Jesus, um, we know that he was crucified, that he died, he was buried, but he rose again on the third day, and he ascended into heaven. And what's happening right now in heaven? Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So Paul is inviting us to take our, our desire, to take our focus and, and fix it on Jesus, who's seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And what's Jesus doing currently in heaven? He's ruling and he's reigning. Jesus is ruling and he is reigning. So I think what Paul is getting at here when he's saying that we need to have our desire and our hearts set on Jesus, it's that we need to desire that Jesus' rule and his reign be established in our lives. When Jesus becomes our primary desire, we begin asking questions when we look at the use of our time. Lord, how do, I, how do I give you my time? Lord, how do I handle my time in a way that you would desire? Lord, the, these finances that you've blessed me with, how do, I, how do I spend these finances in a way that you would desire? When we, when we come to making choices, it's coming to those choices prayerfully and saying, Saying, Lord, I, I desire your rule and reign. I desire you to, to be the authority in my life. So, Father, how, how am I to make this choice? How would you have me make this choice? This desire is also in, in expressed in Matthew chapter 6 when, when Jesus instructs us to pray that his kingdom will come, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is not a prayer that we can pray when our desire isn't for Jesus. 
When we pray that prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. It's a prayer that's saying, God, I des- my desire is for you to come and, and to, to be the boss. My desire is for you to come and for your authority to be known in this place. And it's a prayer that says, Lord, I, I want your authority to be known in my life. And Jesus also calls us to this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. You have it up there. And he's, he's talking about this idea of, of going after riches and things. It's the Gentiles seek after all of these things. And your Father in heaven knows that you need them all. But here, here it is. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Jesus is instructing His disciples here. He's saying, seek me first. He's recognizing that we live in a world that's oriented around desire. And here Jesus is inviting His disciples to to have their primary desire, their first desire to be for Him. Saying, desire me first. I'll take care of the rest. Desire me first. And Jesus also warns us about the consequences that can come if our desires have been misplaced. In Matthew chapter 13, it's a familiar parable where Jesus is, is talking about this, the sower and the seeds, and the seeds go out and the seeds are the word of God. But some of these seeds fall among thorns, and, and because they fall among thorns, they can't produce any fruit. And Jesus goes on to explain this in verse 22 of chapter 13 of Matthew. He says, As for what was sown among thorns this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves to be unfruitful but jesus here is saying hey if your focus isn't on me if your eyes are not focused on me you know it'll start to affect the fruitfulness of your ministry it will start to affect the fruitfulness of my word in your life. So our desire needs to be focused on Christ. Focused on Christ's kingdom rule and reign. Every thought, every aim, every value, every aspiration and striving should come under Christ's lordship. I was thinking of a fun way to illustrate this and uh, a big part of me and Jeline's life is our dog Toby. And I have a picture of him here as a puppy. There he is. We can all awe at Toby. Um, but Toby's grown up, and now he's about 92 pounds, and there he is, uh, and he's a lot of fun, he has lots of energy, he's still under two years old, but uh, when Toby and I go for a walk, and I take him for lots of walks, something that becomes very evident to me is that me and Toby have very different desires. You know, I, I want to exercise my dog so that he isn't crazy at home, so that he's not chewing the carpet or, or making a mess or whatever. I want him... I want him to, to have his exercise. So we're going from A to B. We're doing our walk. Toby, on the other hand, he, he gets very easily distracted. And when a 92-pound dog gets distracted, the owner, there's not a lot the owner can do to kind of reel him in. So I'll be walking Toby, and he'll have his head in the grass somewhere, and immediately he'll, he'll stop, and he locks his feet down, and he digs into the ground. And I'm pulling on my 92-pound dog, and he doesn't want to move. Our desires are different. But how often, I I know I can relate to Toby when it comes to my relationship with God. I'm I'm journeying with Christ something in my life and where things feel good and I'm growing in my Christian walk, but suddenly my desires are no longer for what Jesus desires. 
And what do I do? I dig my feet in. No, God, I don't want to do that. I've misplaced my desire. Perhaps you do this as well. We come to a point where we don't want Christ's rule and reign. We don't want him to have it his way. We want to do it our way. So that's something we need to work through. We need to, we need to work on having our desire focused on Christ. And how natural that Paul moves on to address the focus of our minds. Because how often do we think about the things that we desire? So second, Paul's calling us to have a focused mind. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And our thought lives are so interesting, are they not? Uh, and, and what Paul's getting at here is this idea of having mind, a, a proper mindfulness, which is being consciously aware. And we read about this a bit more in Romans chapter 8, which is one of my favorite passages here. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, Paul writes, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And he goes on to say that for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So we see here echoed a bit of what we read in John chapter 10 verse 10. This idea of life to the full coming from having one's mind focused on Jesus. And Paul invites us here to set our minds and to pursue a mindfulness on things that are above. Not the things that are on the earth. Paul invites us to focus on Christ. Be mindful of Christ. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I have to wear glasses, as you can see. Um, and I've had to wear glasses most of my life. Um, and I, I'm coming to find that when I was looking at this verse, I'm like, how do you illustrate this? That, that mindfulness is a lot like putting on a set of glasses. You know, and I think that we wear multiple pairs of glasses, metaphorically, throughout the day. And I want to use the illustration of money because it's just something I often struggle with. But if I'm feeling stressed about my finances, needing to pay the bills and make ends meet. It's almost like I get up in the morning and I take out a pair of lenses that are labeled money. And I put those lenses on. And then suddenly throughout the day, every decision I need to make, um, the time I need to spend, the thing that I'm constantly thinking about, what is it? It's money. I've chosen to be mindful about money. But Paul here is inviting us to, to wake up in the morning and, and put on a set of glasses that are, that are called Christ, to help us to be mindful on Christ. Now what happens when we do that? Does the, the stress of money necessarily go away? No, not necessarily. But when we come to look at that bank statement and come to pay those bills, our perspective is not one of worry and anxiety, but it's, it's one that can look at finances through, a, through the lens of what does the Word say about my finances? What does Jesus say about my finances? When Jesus says that when I seek Him first, that all these things will be added to me. Is this something that I believe? And again, these, th these lenses we can put on are not necessarily bad with, in and of themselves. The issue is when it is by these things and not by Christ that we see everything else. So Paul calls us to have a focused desire a focused mind, and lastly, he calls us to have a focused hope. 
Paul now here gives us reason for why our focus should be on Jesus. And the first is that he gives us hope in the gospel. And he, he reminds us, you know, he starts by saying, if you've been raised, are you a Christian? To which I raise my hand and say, yes, Paul. Then he comes to remind me about what that means. He says, for you have died. You have died. And your life is hidden in Christ. You know, when we, we think of what, what Christ has done for us, living maybe perhaps a life that's, that's trapped by sin, there's very real awareness of the separation between yourself and God, but, but we hear about the work of Jesus, we receive His love and grace, and Christ brings us into right relationship with God. But in doing this, we die to the world. We die to the world and its desires as we've come to be found in Jesus, as we've come to live under His Lordship, and as we've come to live according to His Word. And it's interesting, the, the term hidden life, because I think when we talk about having a different desire or a different mindfulness of the world, we can't help but think about, well, what does that mean for me fitting in to my current circumstances? You know, if, if I live by this different desire, people are going to think I'm weird. If I live by this different mindfulness, this just isn't going to make sense to my friends or my family or my spouse or whoever. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He says that this idea of our, our lives are hidden. It expresses the struggle we could face as Christians for the reason why we live the way we do, not making sense to the world. The reason why we live the way that we do is hidden from the world. They can't see it. It doesn't make sense to them. Which moves us to the next hope, which is a hope in future glory. And Paul writes these words, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And friends, this is our Christian hope. This is our Christian hope. That as we live our lives, we can forsake the glory that the world has to offer. We can forsake the glory of the American dream. For a glory that is so much greater. A glory that is eternal. A glory that will last forever. And Paul reminds us here that when Christ returns, that we will share in that glory. Paul here is giving us a guarantee. He's telling us about the benefits of having a focused heart and mind on Christ. You know, it's like watching a hockey game on PVR. You know, and... Um, when the Oilers were playing the L.A. Kings and it's 2-1 to one and L.A. pulls their, their goalie and there's this sense of like, oh man, like are they going to score? You know, are the Oilers in trouble? And if you're watching the game live, you're probably standing up in your seat and you're full of this, not necessarily fear, but maybe fear, and you're watching this unfold. But if you weren't able to watch the game live and you PVR'd it and your friend at work spoiled the ending for you, you know, when you watch L.A. pull their goalie, and you sit there, and you're like, oh, well, they're going to pull their goalie, but it's not going to help them one bit. The Oilers are going to win this game. You know, and that's the assurance we have in Scripture. It's like the end of the, our, the, end of the line, going into eternity. It's, it's recorded for us. Jesus is coming back. We're going to be glorified with him. 
We're going to share in the riches of, of what it means to be in relationship with Christ. But in the meantime, there's this tension we face between the glory that the world has to offer and the glory that Christ has to offer. And this is why it is so important for us to have a focused hope. To remember that as we go through our lives as believers, that we have this hope and this anticipation of one day being with Him. And it's because of that that we can be different than the world. We can pursue in that. And in the meantime, we've we get to enjoy all these amazing things in knowing Christ. And I I think of Psalm 103, um, where David is is singing praise to the Lord. And he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquity. Who heals all of your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. These are some of the blessings that God has for us. And we get to Matthew chapter 11, and we read these great words. Come to me, all you who are, are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as we read Paul's letters, he, he goes on to talk about the fruits of the Spirit, the benefits of knowing Jesus coming in the form of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. These are not things that the American dream produces in us. But something that Christ works out in our lives. And it's so easy for us to have a misplaced hope. So how do we go on in attaining this focus? How do we get an appropriate focus so that our lives are evident of being people who are coming up against all odds? You know, the the first answer is obviously Jesus. We need to have a Jesus focus. But Paul goes on here in Colossians 3, and I'm not going to read it because I don't have time, but I encourage you this week to to read the rest of this chapter. Um, And he says that we need to put to death what is earthly in us. He goes on to list all these things of the world that he's saying, just get rid of these things. And how do we do that? Well, the first part in here is is a prayer of repentance. It's It's repenting. It's coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I, my desire is so often misplaced. God, I desire what the world desires. I want to live the way that people around me who don't know you want to live. But Lord, as I read your word and I see that that doesn't make sense, that doesn't line up, Lord, I, I, I do desire your rule and reign. It's asking forgiveness for having those misplaced priorities. And just asking him for forgiveness. Second is prayer. Paul goes on in, in verse 12. He, he's, first he says, put to death what's earthly in you in verse 5. And in, in verse 12 he says, put on then as God's chosen, holy, and beloved. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing one another, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against you, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you you also must forgive. So he goes on to say, you've taken off the world, but now you need to put on Christ. And how do we put on Christ? It's prayer. Prayer. Really two simple applications. It's coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I often don't desire what you desire, but I, I I want to desire what you desire. Lord, I want to know you more. 
You know, when we, we sing these songs in worship, you know, songs like, Lord, I need you, I need you, every hour I need you. Uh, even singing a song like Oceans this morning, this idea of, it's, I will keep my eyes above the waves. I, I'm going I'm to focus my eyes on Jesus. And we come on Sunday morning and we reorient ourselves and we, we sing these songs that are really prayers, praying that Christ would rule and reign in our hearts. But it's so easy to leave church and, and forget those prayers. So I encourage you as you go through this week, every morning, you know, my dad taught me a simple prayer when I was a kid. It just, you know, you, it's, you get up and you say, Lord, I want what you want for my life today. I want what you want for my life today. And it's, prayer, it's praying that prayer. It's asking for help. It's recognizing our need. And as we repent of the struggle and, and the things that we're going through, trying to work through this, and as we pray and ask Christ to, to help us, and I, I believe that our focus, our, our desire, our minds, and our hope will begin to focus on Christ just a bit more. I want to close with this story about, um, about a young boy who, who hears that the circus is coming to town. And he's so excited that the circus is coming to town. And so he goes to his parents and he asks them if, um, if, if he could do some extra chores around the house and things so he'd be able to pay to go to the circus. So every day he comes home from school and he does chores, he does all this extra stuff so that he can get extra allowance to go to the circus. And the day that the circus was coming, this, this young boy runs out to, the, to watch the circus parade. And he watches as the animals go down Main Street. Uh, he watches as the clowns do these tricks and all these things. He watches the acrobats as they, they parade down the street. And this whole time he has this big smile on his face. He's enjoying it so much. And at the very end, there's, a, there's the last clown who's picking up what the horses have left behind. And, and this boy walks up to him and he takes out his allowance and he hands him his allowance. He says, thank you. And he goes home. The boy completely missed the circus. He came to the parade and he enjoyed the parade for what it was. And then he just went home. But he never went to the carnival grounds. He never smelled... The, the smell of the foods in the air. He never went into the, the, the big tents and experienced the circus for all that it was. And I think of how often I can do this in my own Christian life. Where I can go to church on a Sunday morning and worship God with all my heart and, and pray and, and desire a focus. But then I pay my tithe and I go home and I leave Jesus at church. Friends, that is not a Christian focus. Having a Christian focus invites Christ into every part of our day. So that as you're parenting, as you're going to work, as you're conducting your business, it's, it's doing so with a mindset of, Christ, how would you do this? Lord, how do I honor you in my business practice? How do I honor you as I take care of my children? How do I honor you on the job site? And this Christian focus becomes our life. And Paul says that in in. In our passage today, he says, Christ who is your life. Christ who is your life. Not just your Sunday morning, not just your Wednesday night. So let us not miss out on the main event. A life focused on Jesus. A life to the full. A life in some senses lived at the circus. The full life. Seeing Christ first. Desiring his rule and his reign in our lives over anything else.
Let's pray together. Father God, I confess how often I don't have the right perspective or have a good focus. Lord, I recognize how often I need to pray prayers of forgiveness. Lord, in prayers of confession, asking you for help. Lord, that's our prayer this morning, God, that our focus would be set on you. God, and maybe many of us struggle to trust. Maybe many of us struggle to believe that if we focus on you, that everything else will actually be okay. But God, thank you that you walk with us in this life. Lord, you do not leave us to deal with things on our own, but you journey with us in them. So God, we pray that you'd help us to, to see, see you in a new light this morning. Lord, to set our hearts to set our minds and to set our hope upon you, not just on a Sunday morning, God, but in, in every day, Lord, every day of our lives, inviting you into that. Father, we praise you and thank you for who you are. We bless your name, in Jesus' name, amen.